KYW News Radio Original Podcasts. This is KYW News Radio In Depth. I'm Matt Leon. It is Supreme Court opinion season, and on Monday we got one that could lead to massive changes in college athletics. We wanted to break down NCAA versus Austin, so we caught up with Dr. Karen Weaver, our go-to person for all things college sports. She is an adjunct assistant professor and academic director at the University of Pennsylvania. This is really fascinating stuff. Give a listen. So the Supreme Court unanimous in this decision. Kind of give us a quick primer of what this decision says. What was the argument being made here? So this decision was the opportunity for the athletes of the NCAA, as represented by Sean Alston and others, a former running back at the university, at West Virginia University, to um, appeal to the highest court, explaining that the millions and millions and millions of dollars that were being made by the organization for all kinds of colleges and universities was not appropriately accessible by the student athlete. While they were getting full scholarships and in, in, in recent years, cost of attendance, there really was more to be accessed because of the limitations of their seasons and their practices. So, for example, if an athlete wanted to go on an internship, he or she had little opportunity to explore that because the weeks in the year of practice were so substantial, perhaps 35 out of out of 52 weeks a year, they're responsible to be part of the football program or the basketball program. So what the court has held all the way through it from the district court to the appeals court to the Supreme Court is that because the NCAA schools are in the education business, they should not be capping educational related benefits to these athletes. They should, in fact, expand them, celebrate them, and give them every opportunity to leverage them. So with the 9-0 ruling yesterday, and Neil Gorsuch authored the piece, what they basically are saying is, look, you're in the education business. I know you don't want to pay athletes, in this, and this is a very narrow ruling. We're not talking about paying athletes, but we are talking about giving them additional educational benefits. Things as basically, basic as a laptop or access to a, a, a seminar or a webinar that would enhance their academic growth, all the way up to and including postgraduate school. So I can envision that could you could have a, an athlete being recruited, let's say, by the University of Minnesota, who might say, you know what, if you come here, we will also pay for you to go to medical school at Stanford. You don't have to come here to medical school. You can go to whatever medical school in the country you want to, and we will pay for that. So that's the breadth of the of the educational benefits that the Supreme Court has basically said you can't restrict. Now, the problem with the NCAA is they were restricting unilaterally across, across all the Power Five um, divisions. So the court says, no, you can actually make decisions by conference. So the SEC or the Big Ten. PAC-12 could make decisions as to what educational benefits they will support, uh, but they can't all collectively come to the same decision to try to level the playing field, if you will, in terms of recruiting um, benefits. So it's, it's, um, it's going, I don't think people have even begun to think about the cost of this, because again, it's not like just putting an extra seat in the classroom and saying, you can get a master's degree. If you're going to have to pay somebody else for your athlete to go to school somewhere else, that's going to be a cost. And what that cost is, we don't know.
And you mentioned and everywhere I've read, this was a narrow ruling, but it, it seems to clear the runway for a lot of things. And I know Brett Kavanaugh kind of came off the top rope in a concurring opinion and was basically like the whole amateur thing is a sham and your arguments don't hold any water. Uh, this would seem to accelerate trends that really had all been pointing in one direction. So, Matt, what's really interesting about, first off, I'd like to, somebody to tell me if Kavanaugh is the first um, coach we've ever had on the Supreme Court, because he seemed to understand athletics a little bit better than some of the other folks who maybe have never been anywhere near practice. But one of the staggering figures I saw this morning was just to this point in the last five years, the NCAA has spent $280 million in legal fees in defending their amateurism model, which yesterday was um, struck down. So now what already judges are going back to some of the, the cases that have been in the pipeline and say, please write an addendum based on the new ruling of this and we'll reconsider your case. So there are more cases in the pipeline. And I think Kavanaugh's concurrence was very crucial to the, to the hopes and, and, and ideas of the plaintiffs that are coming down the pike saying, you know, you really need to rethink this because this is not 1984 and Board of Regents anymore. This is, you know, the, the new the new world order of looking at how college athletics should operate. And college athletics, uh, you feel like a lot of things are coming together at the same time because you've got rulings like this and the overarching idea of increasing benefits and, and it, you know, a lot of people want direct payments to players. And you've also got name image likeness, which has accelerated down a you know down a ramp in the last in the last year uh, uh things this is fundamental like if you and I are talking in 5 years it's going to look completely different isn't it it really is i read uh this morning in, in sports illustrated Ross Dellinger does a really good job of outlining uh some of the thoughts behind the scenes that people won't go on the record but know that they have blown this that the organization has really kicked the can so far down the road so often that they lost their ability to control the outcome. And that's what's the, the I think the worst possible scenario for uh, the NCAA as far as its credibility, its financial standing, because again, $280 million is, is, only the, is only the tip of the iceberg if more of these cases are coming down the course. So what what, in fact, does the NCAA do to defend itself now? What, what are the, what's the anchors they hang on? And it's always been this idea that if we don't pay athletes, it makes them special. It makes them different. It makes the fans want to watch the games. Well, clearly, the court's saying hogwash. That is exactly – that is not what we're going to allow you to do. That's a monopsony. That's, that's um, creating an illegal cartel across the board, a horizontal structure of, of restraining trade. So – Senior leaders on campus, and I'm not just putting it this in the lap of the athletic directors, but this is a this is a fundamental problem for the senior campus leaders of universities. So presidents, vice presidents, chief financial officers, general counsels who need to sit down and start thinking about, OK, exactly what can we afford? What is realistic and with this ruling? If we desire to be in the, an FBS power five institution, this is the new world order that we are being a part of. And I think those discussions have got got to happen. And I, I will tell you, that's exactly what I'm working on at the University of Pennsylvania. That's exactly the reason I came to Penn 
was to build a program for those conversations to happen. And we're launching a certificate program in the fall for senior campus leaders on how to plan the way forward and basically develop the new leadership mindset around college athletics. So this is a very, very pivotal moment for this. And you mentioned we don't know how much this is going to cost. This would seem to me we could see a world where the Power Five breaks off into on their own, or there's just going to be this chasm because, you know, while they can't maybe come together and say, we're all going to do this, the ability to spend, like the example you go, to send a kid to medical school, a lot of colleges just aren't going to be able, if even if they want to, aren't going to be able to match that, you know, from, you know, some of the smaller Division One conferences. I mean, this... Uh, it's untenable in many different directions. It is. And I, I think when we talk about the power five, I actually think there's like the power two and the other three, the power two right now have been the sec and the big 10 because they've had the revenues, the consistency in their revenue generation, but the other conferences are playing catch up. And, and then even within the sec and, and the big 10, you have a group of maybe 40% of the schools that still can't keep up with the top part of their own conference. So how does a school like Indiana, who doesn't have the football revenues of an Ohio State, uh, keep up with, by the way, we're also going to pay for you all 100 guys to go to law school or medical school. Uh, where do they come up with the funds for that when they're having trouble just keeping up in the current situation? So this could have the unintended effect of making the elite programs a smaller number rather than a larger number and, and really could force a, a major restructure in college, educa- college athletics. You mentioned the NCAA kicking the can down the road on this and not, it is amazing to me that there has never been a plan put forth that could have maybe mitigated this 15, 20 years ago, or, you know, just one I just kind of came up with is you give kids a stipend, half, half of it, they are given weekly, monthly, whatever at time, the other half goes into some kind of an escrow account that once you receive your diploma, you get that money. Like, I don't know what the numbers would be. I don't know how that's feasible, but a broken down radio guy came up with an idea like that, you know, laying in bed the other night. How have all these smart people, if it isn't that they proactively just don't want to address it, couldn't come up with something that maybe could have been a good faith offering that wouldn't have allowed it to accelerate this quickly? One word, self-interest. Everybody was sitting at the table thinking about what's best for me rather than what's best for we. And when you get into a room like that, particularly if you, if your institution isn't viewed on the same level as other institutions, and you, you know as well as I do, there's a pecking order in college, college athletics. And the people who are higher up the pecking order seem to have their voice carries more influence and more weight, whether it's right or wrong, their argument they're making because of the institution they're representing their voice carries more weight. And so therefore their interests get get heard more carefully than other people's ideas and interests. It's a lot easier to suggest an idea when you're sitting in the chair of the AD at Ohio State than it is when you're sitting in the chair of the AD at Robert Morris in, Pitt, in Pittsburgh. So that that's the dynamic that's at play in the NCAA Board of Governors right now is that th- there are enough people who are sitting on that board who have not had the depth and breadth of experience because most of them are college presidents. They have a million other things to do in their day besides study that the ramifications of athletic decisions. So that structure itself may need to be looked at 
because right now it's fun. It fundamentally failed. It, it fundamentally failed and has cost the organization millions and millions and millions of dollars. We've talked about unintended consequences earlier. I mean, the offshoots of all this, I think are hard to get your kind of head around right now, what we could see. Cause I think, how many coaches, big-time coaches, have we seen retire because basically because of the transfer portal? They got tired. You know, they don't want to deal with all this. They've kind of lost control. To And then you throw all this. I We could have a wave of turnover because of people that are set in their ways, the old guard that just don't want to deal with all these changes. It's going to be fascinating to watch. It, it absolutely is, and, and even even at the at the um, division two and division three level, the the number of retirements just because I think people don't want to deal with names, images, and likenesses. I mean, that's just a whole nother bucket that is incredibly complex. And and so yeah, I think a lot of people with the pandemic and and others are, are re looking at their work life balance and saying, yeah, maybe there's something else I can do. <laughs> are you confident that? All these changes, we talk about how much difference it's going to look in five years. Are you confident that overall things will go in a positive direction? Or are you concerned that this could really spiral into a situation that we don't really know what it looks like and it gets cor- even more corrupt and worse? I think it's going to be really um, mucky in, in the next five years. I, I think there's a lot of trial and error, certainly in names, images, and likenesses. When I talk to people who have to implement this stuff, you know, they're all looking for rules. Somebody tell me what to do, but the problem is we're in, a, we're in uncharted territory. So how do you set a standard of rules and then six months later decide that, you know, it doesn't legally meet the definition of, of what the Supreme Court or, or other courts have said in the marketplace? So we'll have to scrap that and try something else. I think there'll be a lot of that. Uh, Mark Emmert's comment earlier, was it late last week or earlier this week, about it, it appears the NCAA is not going to hold anybody accountable uh, if they decide to do their pursue their name, image, and likeness July 1st on, even if their state doesn't yet have regulations. So the NCAA has said, you know what? It, it, we're not going to penalize you if, if you're in a state that has yet to pass NIL legislation. We're going to let you do what, what you want to do. That is unheard of, Matt, at the NCAA level. There's always there's been a rule for everything. And for the president to come out and say, I'll make sure my staff understands that you cannot be penalized because of this crazy landscape that we're in right now. Is there a scenario where the NCAA ceases to be? You know, it hasn't been talked about yet, but I got I to gotta think that those who are thinking, the new leaders that are coming forward have to consider what's a different model. And maybe this model just didn't work. You know, the model evolved out of um, trying to keep football safe. So it's a, it's a very football-centric model. And maybe that's just not the best model for, for where we are in higher education in the 21st century. It's always healthy to, to relook at where you are. And maybe, and maybe just say, okay, maybe there's things that we need to do differently that could be more effective, more responsive to student athletes' health and mental, mental awareness concerns, more responsive to the marketplaces where they are competing with their education once they finish their athletic career, and more responsive to the work-life balance of coaches and administrators because it is, it is really a consistent seven-day-a-week job. And for many folks coming out of the pandemic, they might be thinking, you know what? 
not so sure I want to keep doing that. Maybe I want to do something else with my life that doesn't take so much of my time. So, uh, you know, never let a good crisis go to waste, as Winston Churchill said, and this might be one of those opportunities. That's it for this episode of KYW News Radio in depth. You can listen to the podcast free anytime on the Odyssey app, and you can find it wherever you listen to your favorite shows. I'm Matt Leon, and we'll have another episode out soon. <laughs>